When a seasoned sports fan teams up with a millennial, opinions may vary, but the debates assuredly won't disappoint. Check your sources. It's New Report, Old Report. Here's your hosts, John Lund and Al Renato. Yes, indeed. Hello, everyone. I'm John Lund alongside Al Renato, a.k.a. the great Al in White Plains. And this is New Report, Old Report here on Monday, October 8th from 8 to 9 Eastern Time here on Sports Radio America. If you missed the live show, you can catch the replay all through the week. Also at 8 p.m. Eastern or find the show as bonus content under the Bridge Sports Podcast found on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts, really wherever you get your podcasts, or at LondonBridge.com. This week, we're all over the MLB playoffs, some of which has already been decided with teams moving on to the championship series. We've got reactions to week five in the NFL season and week six in college football. We'll tell you how awful we did in our picks in this week's six-pack segment and more. Check your sources. We're off. Now, what would be the odds that that was happening again, that that was a new report? Was that a new report or an old report? That's what I'm asking. Is it a new report or an old report? Is that a new report? Well, we don't know. Well, Al, another exciting week of athletics. I don't think we've been disappointed in now 10 episodes, so that's good to see. And for the first time in those 10 episodes, we can talk playoff baseball. And I mentioned to you last week I would refrain from any Yankees commentary before the wild card game because I wasn't sure if any commentary would be worth it because they might have not even gotten into the postseason. Thankfully, they were able to beat the A's. Thankfully, they were able to even up the series in Boston and tie things up heading into New York in what will be Monday night when this show airs. So as of this recording, it is 1-1 in the ALDS. Yankees fans have to be feeling good. I don't know how you're feeling, so let me ask there what your thoughts are, at least of that series. We can start with the Yankees-Red Sox and getting that rivalry back up off the ground. Greetings, my friend. Uh, great to start with baseball. You know, that's, uh, that, that's my favorite. So even though my Cardinals were eliminated, unfortunately, in the final weekend of the season, the Yankee fans really have got to be, I mean, absolutely thrilled. You know, you go up there to get a split, you get it, and you've got your best pitcher coming back in game three. And, you know, I, I had thought that the Red Sox coming into this series uh, were going to have to hit their way through these playoffs because their starting pitching uh, has really struggled uh, with the sale injury. Uh, David Price, just I don't, I don't want to call it a checkered history. We'll call it an abysmal history uh, of awful performances in the playoffs. Again, yesterday, uh, status quo. Ten and games, zero wins, I believe, is the statistic for He has for started it. ten games in his career in the postseason. His teams are 0-10 in those starts, which means he's never been good enough to at least have his team win and get a no decision. And he is 0-9. So I, I think for a good pitcher, this has got to be the worst postseason career of any quality starting pitcher in the history. I look the, way, the analytics in front of me, do we have the ESPN numbers being spit out since you know, the uh, live ball era? Well, here's okay. a couple uh, for him. Numbers are. 59 what? innings, 
6.03 ERA, 13 home runs in those oh, nine. 10 games. Oh, nine. Oh, nine, and team is 0 and 10. I don't care what the, I don't care about anything else. 0 and 9 and 0 and 10 speaks volumes. That means you are not getting it done. Period. End of story. Last night, a quick hook. Uh, he, he wasn't locating. Uh, rookie manager was not going to wait. Pulled him out of there and. You know, the Red Sox get back in it a little bit, you know, with a solo shot from Bogarts, but then uh, Sanchez basically ends the game with a monstrous three-run shot, his second of the night. The Yankees go home with their best starter, coming off four electric innings, even though he was a little on the wild side, in as nondescript, as uneventful, as predictable a wild card game as you could ever imagine. As the A's start, you know, a kid from down under in Yankee Stadium. Eight relief. I mean, are you kidding me? Enough with the opener. If you're going to open, all right, with the cat from the Mets, familiar, who's got experience in New York City, who's pitched in big games, World Series. I, I can, okay, I'll buy that. But you're going to, you're going to, well, you're going to say, I want to save it for later. Well, if it's so, you, know, you want to get, you want to get out early. So why not open with familiar? Instead, you open with a kid who obviously had stage fright. Two nothing. That game's over. Over. Stick a fork in. As, as uneventful, as unexciting, as, I don't want to say disappointing, but these one and done, you hope there's going to at least be some intrigue, some excitement. Nothing. Thrill for Yankee fans, can of corn, hand ride home, and now they come home 1 1 in great shape. And if Boston doesn't hit, they are in dire strengths because their bullpen is mediocre at best. I'm being kind. All right. And their closer is wonderful, but has a checkered hat passed in the postseason. Uh, he barely got it home the other night for the five, four win uh, tomorrow night. Bronx is going to be rocking plain and simple. That place is going to be absolutely positively as loud as it can be. And for the first time, you know, since 2004, the Red Sox come a calling in the Bronx in the postseason. So it should be incredibly exciting. Well, of course, for the A's, and again, a great season by them. Unfortunately for the A's, great seasons don't mean much when you're not getting at least to the ALCS. Movies are nice, it, it, books it, are nice, but hey, let's uh, maybe get a ring or means, something. It means zero when you don't compete. Exactly. To me, yes, but they never win these games. They never win these games, whether it's this game, all right, whether it's a best of five when they've got a 2-1 lead. Whether, no matter who they play, they can't be Minnesota, they can't be Detroit in these series where they have, you know, they, they never win with an issue in a Billy B. Never. I understand. Moneyball, nice story. You know, young guys. You know, everybody coming together. Brad Pitt. Oh, the, the Cardinals, wonderful real season. Life. You know, uh, you know, Brad Pitt looks good as Billy B. Right? But, you know... In the real world, can Billy Bean's team ever win a postseason series? And of course, they compete. yeah. And, and, and I, I can't stand it when the wild card games are not even competitive. Because when they're competitive, that one and done, like March Madness, can be so exciting. But rarely are these wild card games competitive. And they try the bullpenning, the opener, as it's been called. And, of course, the first person they start doesn't have it, gives up a couple runs. 
And the next person they put in, I think, went at least two innings. He might have even won three. Dominant performance, of course, because that's the risk with this bullpenning is you have to put everybody in the right order perfectly. And if it doesn't work out the way it usually doesn't, is the first guy will struggle, the second guy comes in and he's lights out, and then you ponder why you didn't put him in. That even happened to Boston in game two, and not to say they were going to start Joe Kelly, but of course David Price gets shelled by the Yankees once again. Hashtag who's your daddy to go back to when this rivalry had Pedro Martinez in it. Here comes Joe Kelly, shuts down Aaron the Judge one, to get I, out of I the inning. The one bright spot. Yeah, he was great. He was great. He saved the bullpen Joe in Kelly, a sense. The former Cardinal has, despite the fact that he throws 100 miles an hour, has really struggled to throw strikes in big spots. He's been very inconsistent. You know, he'll look like lights out on one batter and then you know, walk one, nibble, give up a knock, get ahead, nibble again, give up a two. Last night was the best I have seen him pitch. Excuse me, uh, last night was the best I have seen him pitch in a very, very long time. His stuff was outstanding. Movement, he had excellent command. He got ahead, he stayed ahead, pitched very, very well. Now, if he can continue to pitch well in the series, that will be huge for them because they need help in the middle. They need help uh, in the middle and late innings to get to their closer because, you know, the way things are going with Sale, it doesn't look he's going to go through the first seven innings anytime soon. Price, you know, it, it, he could be going after two, three innings. So, and, you know, we'll see what uh, – I'm assuming – uh, the Porcello was going tomorrow night, despite the fact that he pitched in game one out of the bullpen. Am I correct? They are supposedly going to go with Evaldi in game three. Which, he hasn't been bad against the Yankees, his old former team. He, he, so is, is, he's is, good against and you them. Have to excuse, you have to excuse me, folks. I have been in the process of an office group for the last couple days. So I've been a little bit out of the loop in terms of what's been transpiring with respect to the news aspect of it. So is the latest that Porcello is going to stay in the pen, or is he going to go game four? They have him, I believe, for game four, but of course okay. that can change, I guess, depending on how game three goes. Yeah, and look, if you need him to come out of the pen in game three in a huge situation, you might see him. You might see him. The funny part about game yesterday... Four, game four totally up for grabs, so it's going to be very interesting how the rookie manager handles it. It's been pretty easy for him so far until last night. Right. And that was an interesting part of yesterday was when do you pull David Price? A lot of some people are even arguing, do you even put David Price out there? Do you maybe go the opener, the bullpenning route and have him come in in relief, which the last time he did that for Boston in the postseason, he wasn't bad at. Hard to really put Alex Cora to the fire for that. I can understand why you started him. I can understand why I thought he did the right thing. I really did. And look, you, you went, Kelly kept him in the game. So it worked out for him. The, the, the perfect scenario would have been if he didn't have to go. See, if it were me, all right, and I don't think he gotten away with it, I would have named Porcello my game, my game two starter. But you know, Price was his game two starter, and he went to Porcello you know, to help uh, stem the tide in game one, and you got to get game one. So it, that worked for him. Price just, I, I mean, it, it's its hard to believe. I mean, a, a pitcher of that caliber, 
not a superstar, but clearly a star, an upper echelon pitcher, has with good stuff, has never won a postseason game in ten starts. I find it absolutely stunning that he is not, nor has his team ever won one of those games. Like I said, which is even more damning. Yeah, you, well, you would even think there'd be one where the team would just have one of those games. They score seven or eight or nine runs, right. and he just has to go five and weather the storm and gets the win that way. But that hasn't even happened. It's been as about as abysmal as it could possibly be for David Price in the well, postseason. Well, when we talk about as abysmal as it could possibly be, I guess that might be the starting pitching standpoint. Let's swing it the other way around. As abysmal as it could possibly be, from an offensive standpoint, is, was the Colorado Rockies, all right, uh, the, the, the group from Blake Street, the Bombers, uh, I don't think so. Two runs, all in the top of the ninth in game one, in three games against the Milwaukee Brewers group of quasi-starters who go, you know, five, five-ish before he turns over that tremendous bullpen. And the Rockies don't even put up so much as a fight. They go down without a whimper. Shut out. At home. Done. Three straight. Milwaukee stays hot as could possibly be. Uh, their starters are doing a terrific job for as long as they go. The bullpen is busy lights out. Christian Yelich is playing like the best player in, the ba- in baseball. And they now await the winner of this Dodger Brave series, which the Dodgers... Uh, behind two great sets of their lefties, uh, you and Kershaw, who looked like the Kershaw of, of old, eight innings, two hits, no runs, uh, go up 2 nothing and are now trailing 6-5, speak speak in game three with the chop going uh, in the Braves' new ballpark uh, at SunTrust. So the Braves looking to make a dent in that two-zip lead, and the Brewers just sit back with their feet up uh, and get their pitching lined up to see who it is that they're going to play, when, and where. Yeah, to me, the Dodgers didn't surprise me. Going up 2-0 at home against a very young Atlanta Braves team, almost like a, hey, welcome to the postseason type moment for them. And if you drew that out on paper, that Kershaw is going to come in in game two and be dominant, it's not that surprising. And we know he's had his postseason struggles, but this is just the NLDS. We haven't gotten into the CS or the World Series yet, so... Maybe those are coming as of yet, but for them to dominate those first two games at home wasn't too much of a surprise. What is nice to see, and it could change as we mentioned, the Braves did come to play in game three and have that lead as we mentioned. They could falter, but at the same time, at least for them to put up six runs, to be in the game, to have a lead, to battle back from it being tied and take a lead against that Dodgers team, it was nice to see. Now they can only win maybe one game and then fall 3-1, to one, but at least to see something. These young guys are getting experience in the postseason, and there's, there's not much price you can put on that. It's, it's very valuable. This is a team that surprised a lot of people and were sort of ahead of its time in a sense, kind of like the Yankees were last year. Great to see if you're an Atlanta fan. The surprising thing for me is the Rockies. Maybe not necessarily surprised. We see a lot of these 2-0 things when a team gets that early advantage and the home field advantage and is able to put up two quick wins. 
there was some argument that maybe they were playing too many games in too short of a period of time because they had a battle for the division and the wild card and everything they had going on. But it's baseball. You're used to playing multiple games in a week and having to play back-to-backs and having to extend your bullpens and extend your lineups. It's nothing new. I was surprised coming back home in a stadium that is desperate in need of a postseason victory. The crowd all over it didn't even put a run-up on the board. And Milwaukee is hot as all hell can be and didn't really get even tested to put out that flame even in the slightest. It, it was decently shocking to me that they had such, in a, in a sense, an easy time in this series. And you can talk to me until you're blue in the face about the Rockies and the splits. And, you know, I don't want to hear that they play 81 games on the road. They stink on the road. Okay, they did absolutely nothing down the stretch. Every time they left the building, the only place they did anything on the road was against an Arizona team that went in the tank. They got swept in Los Angeles. Then they caught fire after they went to Arizona, who basically totally, totally packed it in. And they swept Arizona, and they went home and finished out the season uh, against a Philly team that mailed four games in. And then they won two out of three uh, against Washington. And they hit the hell out of the ball. But they came up incredibly small, as they always do offensively, on the road. They are not the same team when they leave that ballpark. I don't care what you say about Arenado. I don't care what you say about Trevor Story, Charlie Blackman, the whole crew. Uh, Blackman gives you better at bats, I think, than the rest of the group. But back to Trevor Story, so he had a few more breaking balls that are two feet outside of the dirt. And can Arenado come up small in a few more big spots? You know, base is loaded, nobody out, game one. I'm not looking for a sacrifice slider for them. I'm looking for him to bust the game open uh, and get us a stunning win in game one. You're one of the top five players in baseball, but what do you give me? The sacrifice fly. It's not a great, you know, it's not awful, but you know, I'm, I'm looking for damage there, and they just didn't do it. And on the anemic offense discussion, we moved to the junior circuit, and right along there with the Rockies, not quite to the depth of their despair, but the defending champs have completely shut down the Indian offense. Down the stretch, we didn't talk about it too much, but Frankie Lindor and his uh, double playmate, uh, Mr. Ramirez, who had wonderful years, if you look at their numbers, the last couple weeks, they're Averages dropped drastically. They both wound up hitting, you know, in the uh, high 70s to low 80s, and they were both up around 300 uh, with a month to go. About 20 points on their averages. They wound up both their 40 home runs, which is amazing. But their averages dropped off in the last two to three weeks, and they're the key to that offense. If they are not on, you know, hitting and on base uh, for the rest of the group, uh, and they steal bases. They're, they're active on the bases. They have high stolen base percentages. If they're not on early uh, for the likes of Encarnacion and you know, Donaldson, who they picked up, uh, and, and the rest of the crew to drop them in, sometimes driving each other in, uh, that team is, is, is simply not going to win uh, a postseason series against certainly the likes of the Astros, the Yankees, or anybody else. 
And uh, yesterday, you know, in a big spot, uh, they get the lead early. He goes to his pen again, does Francona, and I am a firm believer, and I've said this time and time and time again, and I will continue to say this, that Andrew Miller will never be the same. He will never be the same since Francona literally spent him against everybody and their mother in the postseason, uh, which he was unhittable for a while, and then the Cubs eventually got to him uh, in the World Series. He was bringing him in every which way but loose, bringing him in the seventh, bringing him in the fourth, with this notion of, you know, I'm going to bring in my best guy, the most important time of the game, high leverage situation, etc. So yesterday, he couldn't even come close to him. So they got to throw the ball behind guys. I mean, he is a mess. Absolute mess. He will never, he's that awful, he's that done, but I don't think he will ever be the same. I think he was overused drastically by Terry Francona, and I think as a result, uh, his, his career as we know it, the best of it, we have seen. I do not believe he will ever be the same pitcher that we saw a couple of years. Right, and that led to injuries that he's obviously been able to come back from, but you don't know how people's bodies react to different injuries and what their recovery is like. And even if they can pitch, it's hard sometimes, depending on when the, where the injury is, to get back to the level that you once were at. And it's an interesting experiment, in a sense, what the Indians did with Miller. And we're seeing it a little bit with Araldis Chapman. What's going to happen to him long-term as in two to three years from now? He's seemingly doing okay. We'll, we'll see if that changes. Hopefully not. But two guys that were went to the well in, incredibly in that series to get them in the game, to get them in certain situations, and they were burnt out by the end of it. So and right now, we're seeing it with Miller. We might see it with Chapman. Hopefully not. And, and who knows what's going to happen? Because right now, Hader is what Miller was. He is exactly what Miller was. That's true. He is, he's, he's a carbon cop. He's coming in in all spots. He's coming in in the fifth. He's coming in in the fourth. He's coming in the seventh. He's coming in for two innings. And he is the same kind of guy. Unhittable. Absolutely positively. Lights out. Lefties. Righties. We'll see how long it lasts. Better hair, you get too. A championship out, you get a championship out of it, it worked. Could get a chip. The Indians did. The Indians did. We'll see what happens. And it's interesting with the Indians because, as we know, they had their division wrapped up the earliest out of all these teams, even though they only had one more win than the Tampa Bay Rays for the regular season. I don't know if that has anything to do with the postseason because this is obviously an experienced unit. It's not like this is their first rodeo, but, hey, dropping that series to the Yankees after being up 2-0, now going down 0-2 to the Astros – we won't know if they'll take a game. This show will come out bef- after game three is played. We could assume they'll take one. I can't see them taking this series in the hole that they are against an Astros team that's not only hot at the plate, but hot on the mound as well. They're I poised. think we have they're, a very strong good. possibility, young man. With all due respect to your uh, Bronx Bombers, I think we have a very strong possibility they're going to see a rematch of last year's World Series. That's when I thought when the postseason started, and I'm sticking with it. Not saying that your squad will not give the Red Sox and ultimately, potentially, the Astros a snootful. I think they will because they can hit. And if Sanchez, uh, if this is not just a one-game wonder, 
uh, and he has turned it around, then they will be uh, very difficult for whomever they play. Uh, but obviously, they will not have home field. So that will, I think, play a huge role and be a big factor you know, um, in the next round if they go to the next round. But uh, it, it, Gregorius is obviously healthy. Um, Judge looks fine. Uh, swinging the bat incredibly well. Hitting rockets the other way. Uh, Luke Voigt, my ex-cardinal, who I gave you for Shreve. Thank you for that. Was a strikeout was a strikeout waiting was a strikeout waiting to happen in St. Louis with warning track power and a butcher in in the infield. It was turned into the second coming of Shane Spencer. Uh, So he solved the first base problem at least for a while. So uh, you know, there's there's bombers everywhere in the Bronx Bombers lineup. If they pitch well enough from a starting perspective to get to that pen, you know, it's going to be an a knockdown, drag-out series with Boston, and if they move on, a great series with what I think will be the Astros. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report, here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. We'll say this to close it up, and as the listeners know, we won't know who wins game three in the Bronx, and we can't make too many predictions. But as far as the optimism goes for both teams, if you're Boston, you have to just be excited with the lineup you have offensively. Any given night, it could break out. It doesn't matter if you didn't hit well one game to the next. You can always have faith in that lineup pretty much one through nine. So if you don't hit well one game, that doesn't mean you won't the next game. Turning to the Yankees, the optimism is, of course, the bullpen is better than the Red Sox bullpen. So if it's a shortened game for both teams, you got to feel good about the advantage there. You also have to feel good about what you saw from, as you mentioned, Judge and Sanchez. A couple names that on paper, if you were to predict this and before the season started, you go, of course, Sanchez would hit home runs. Of course, Judge would hit a home run. Of course, they do well. It's just been good to see. I will say, though, the pessimism side, Giancarlo Stanton, man, has been brutal. He's getting to the point now, and I felt this way once in the postseason, unfortunately, about a certain Alfonso Soriano, where you would almost wish for him to strike out instead of grounding into a double play. For the first two games, that has been the overwhelming feeling with Stanton of a strikeout is better than a double play, but a strikeout continues to look brutal, and he has looked lost. He has continued to bat fourth through two games. I hope that that might change in game three or four. He has not looked good to this point. As I mentioned, that could change. He did hit a home run in the wild card game against the A's. Granted, the game was almost basically decided at that point, so not too much pressure. He has been the one spot in the lineup where Pitchers are pitching around your boy, Luke Voigt, to get to Giancarlo Stanton. I wouldn't change a thing if I were your manager, because all it takes is one swing of the bat. You know, remember what happened at the beginning of the season. One game, he's got five strikeouts, and then, you know, a second later, he hits two bombs. All right, so he's been through it before. He's got plenty of experience recovering what it takes to recover from strikeouts, as does Judge. Uh, I think they're fine. And, and look, their lineup is deeper than the Red Sox lineup. Uh, I mean, you look at they got the bottom of the lineup with the two rookies. 
you know, and, and the Red Sox, uh, you know, uh, depending on who they're playing at third base, either way, whether it's Nunez uh, or whether it's the kid, they got a 240 hitter. Um, they're, they got a catcher who they love defensively. He was hit 180, who catches pretty much no matter what. They love him so much as a catcher. He's hit, he's hit 180. Yeah, Sandy. 180. I mean, compare that to compare that to who's in the eight hole for the Yankees. And Sanchez, what, like .9 points higher than that? Was he 189? A little and, bit higher with the home run, so. And they're not getting, you know, Ian Kinsler, he hit 240 this year. Nice player, excellent career, but, you know, offensively, he's on the back end. All right, he's, he's you know, he's not just on the back nine. All right, he's on 16, 17, the part three. Uh, I haven't seen a lot, a lot of life in that bat. Uh, you know, so, and wrapped over 240 with 25 bombs. So, uh, I think that the back end of the Yankee lineup, as you get down to 7, 8, 9, is far superior to the Red Sox. The Yankee lineup is much deeper and much harder to pitch, even though it's a right-handed lineup. Um, you know, and, and remember who's going to be pitching to it late in games. You know, in six, seventh innings, you're talking about a bullpen that has really struggled. It's going to have to get through this lineup. And I, I really think it's... It is advantage. It's the split got them advantage Yankees because you're not going to see sale before game five. I can't, can't believe he'd be coming back at game four if they're down 2-1. You know, his, his shoulder issues. You know, I got to believe he's not pitching to a little potential game five. So that puts them in a real tough position from a starting pitching perspective. So to me, as far as I'm concerned, advantage Yankees, plain and simple. Yeah, and as we know in baseball, you never know who the hero is going to be. You never know who's going to be up in the spot to hit a game winner and who might come through and who might not. So that keeps the series interesting, especially with the short dimensions in Yankee Stadium's right field. And that's one of the great lines I've ever heard from the great Tim Kirchin the other day. You know, he, he was talking about what separates baseball from the other sports and why it's the best sport. Because you never, I'm paraphrasing, he basically said, you never know who's going to take the last shot. On the other sports, you know, basketball, it's going to be in LeBron's hands. It's going to be in Steph's hands. You know, football, you know, your quarterback's going to have the ball in his hands. All right. Uh, baseball, you never know who's going to get the big hit. It can be, you know, Eric Kratz. <laughs> and I think, I think that was what he was talking about. Uh, I think, I think it was referring to Kratz's, uh, two, two run blooper that, uh, got the lead to four nothing. Yes. Yeah, some uh, of the worst statistics in the major leagues for the year. And here he is the hero. <laughs> what a great game. Love it. Speaking of. And, and speaking of heroes, <laughs> as we go to the next football league, we had a hero in Carolina. Graham Gano, don't you know, as I believe. Chris Berman from, would say, or someone else. ACC player, yeah, Mr. Gano. From shockingly hard to believe, after the Giants are down two scores, they come back in a game that they trailed virtually from midway through the first quarter on. It looks like they're dead in the water. Eli Manning brings them back to a 31-30 lead. And lo and behold, with a few seconds left, the big fella, Cam I am, gets him just close enough, just close enough 
63-yard attempt. Just close enough uh, is even putting it kindly because I don't know if he got there. <laughs> what, a, what a play call by Mr. Ron Rivera. Keeping several of his nicknames intact of what is he doing? I can't believe that maybe kind of uh, did it work. And then Gano bails him out. He sure did. He sure did because the, their, their play before that was a just a, a, all it did was eat clock. <laughs> it was ugly. And it, they it, it was it was it was an awful looking play in a huge spot. You needed about six seven yards to give him a chance. I think they get nothing. Not close. Uh, it wasn't a competitive play, and lo and behold, he knocks for a 63-yarder to send the Giants home at one and three. And it absolutely, uh, or my, I'm sorry, one and four. Or yeah, one, one, and, one and four, even worse. One and four. I'm sorry. Uh, one and four, and just a, a absolutely gut-wrenching loss. Absolutely gut-wrenching. Well, it was interesting too in their loss where it actually could have been worse just based on some of the things that happened throughout the game. Shepard throwing a tantrum on the sidelines, the comments by OBJ before the game about not getting the ball enough and his lack of receptions. Again, here we go with Eli. Where is he throwing the football? He can't. And then they make this miraculous comeback and take the lead. Here we go, Giants. Here we go. So, in a way, their loss could have actually been a lot worse. It's heartbreaking, but some of the storylines that were probably in the leads of many of the Giants and NFL beat writers at least were able to get deleted. Not to say that this is something that they can shine a light on and improve from. I don't want to get too carried away, but it could have been worse. We'll leave it at that. And, and the Go-Go Jets, meanwhile... Uh, oh, God. The topic, which I'm sure is, you know, I, I hate to bring it up, but uh, since we're in the New York front, we'll get through it quickly because it's very painful for you. For you, <laughs> uh, you know, your Broncos uh, lost two games until last conversation. Uh, comeback victory by Kansas City on Monday night in my, uh, excuse me, in uh, in Denver. I, I'm always going to say mile high. Yeah, I, I um, do too. You don't have to worry about whatever. And then really, you know. Uh, the Jets just ran the ball down their throat and really a, a comfortable win for the Jets today in, in probably their best performance of the year, uh, I, I, I would say. so. Well, shout out to uh, the Jets fans that now have Isaiah Crowell as their franchise-leading rusher. Hip, hip, hooray for that. Sam Darnold making everyone flash back to week one when Jets fans were a little bit more optimistic about the season. These long 70-plus yard touchdown plays that the Denver defense was giving up, these just breaks in whatever they're trying to do, and pain and suffering comes with it. Case Keenum finally throws a touchdown for the first time in week one at the beginning of the game, and you think, hey, maybe we're on the right track here, and then the offense goes cold. This was hearkening back to, speaking of the New York Giants, when they once played Denver, I think this was last year, they were like 0-5. Maybe it was Monday Night Football or Sunday Night Football, and they put a walloping on Denver. Losses like these just quickly bring you back to reality and go, we are very, very far from where we were 
in that Super Bowl year and where we were in the Elway years, this defense is nothing compared to what it was when there was the no-fly zone. This is the, hey, fly, fly jets fly zone today. It was rough. But you know what? When stuff like this happens this early, you can almost put that team aside. There won't be as much heartbreak. The Chiefs' loss was hard. That's when I kind of said, I mean, that, that's obviously the better team in the AFC West. This season is over at that point, at least in the division. This one put the icing on the cake. We're on to 2019 now. And speaking of the Chiefs, a statement game today after going into Denver behind young Patrick Mahomes with a fourth-quarter rally. They come home this week, and they give me my one win in as hideous a week of forecasting you could possibly have. And they go wire to wire against arguably one of the best defenses in the National Football League. And they just blow Jacksonville out of the building. Yeah, and the funny thing is, you're really, right. really was never competitive. Gutsy is the right word, because Mahomes probably had his, his, I mean, and this is funny to say, his worst game in the National Football League, still throwing for 300-plus yards. But he wasn't incredible. Break Bortles was far worse with four interceptions, but this is the type of game that you're going to get once, twice, three times throughout the season where stuff isn't working, you have to respond, and the final score, it looks like, again, they cruise to victory. So you said it, a gutsy, gritty win, one that Patrick Mahomes is going to have to get used to here and there, a statement win, too. They remain unbeaten, and to me, they're the top team to beat in the AFC. Oh, there's, there's, there's no doubt about it. Um, you know, because everywhere else is topsy-turvy. Although, you know, hey, but look at Marvin Lewis's club. You know, down early against the Dolphins. They come back and 27-17 as they roll over Miami, Cincinnati. Uh, now leads that division because of an awful loss by my Ravens today to the Browns, which they couldn't score a touchdown uh, in five quarters of football. The defense played wonderfully. Uh, but all they could muster were three Justin Tucker field goals. They couldn't even get a field goal attempt in overtime because you know if they do, they win because Tucker never misses. Uh, they couldn't manage that against the Browns' defense. It's pretty good. But, again, it, it's the, the Joe Flacco returned to form of throwing the ball 50-plus times and not even for 300 yards, which is just abysmal. And so the Ravens dropped the three and two. Pittsburgh goes right ahead and mauls the Falcons, who are in huge huge trouble in the NFC South. Shambles. And so that, that division now is, everybody is looking up at Cincinnati in the NFC North. Uh, the Titans suffered debilitating loss today to the Bills at the time. So that division is topsy-turvy. And you said it about KC. They are rolling out West. They're undefeated and looking absolutely tremendous. Um, the rest of that conference right now is a total crapshoot. Meanwhile, the NFC today, the defending champs went down again as Minnesota recovered uh, nicely with a, a big win against the Eagles. Uh, Eagles scored late to make it close. And the Rams had a snootful with Russell Wilson and company, but they hung on, went for a fourth and one with a little over a minute to go in their own territory. Um, where they were ready to punt it back and give Russell Wilson a chance to go down the field with the field. And they said, I don't think so. 
they went for uh, they went for the jugular, and they got the Duke. And uh, you know, the Cardinals got their first win of the year uh, against a Jimmy G-list San Francisco 49ers. So, you know, just when you think you've got this league figured out, think again. There's no rhyme or reason to what happens each week, except of course. the Rams roll and Kansas City looks terrific. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. That's really the only reliable thing we have. And there are years where teams start out 4-0 and and 5-0, and but they're kind of iffy wins. If there is such a thing, they might not dominate. They might win late on a field goal. They might have some turnover that happens. They might not really be in control of the game and get lucky in a sense. What the Chiefs and the Rams have shown in this early going is there's no question they're the best team in their respective conferences. Well, the, the, other, the other thing about that, John, is that they're beating good teams. Okay? Right. I mean, winning, winning your, your, your Broncos may not be a great team, but when you go in on Monday night, that, that's, that's, a, that's a tough win. That's a tough game to win. As long as they're a relatively competitive team, which they are, when you go in there on Monday night, they become a really they're a tough team to beat. And you know, everybody knows they're the Jacksonville, and they handle them easily at home. Seattle is tough in their building. Uh, they're a competitive team, and the Rams go in there and win today. Uh, they didn't dominate. Uh, it was a very competitive game, but you know, these games are supposed to be competitive. They're all pros, and they they found a way. To get a win with that tremendous offense, uh, they did give up a chunk. They did give up a good bit of yardage and some points, but hey, Russell was a really good player. Uh, but when you win those games, that shows the caliber of that team. And to me, that's what they're showing me. Both of those teams right now—they're uh, winning those games that the really good teams win against other competitive teams uh, in their buildings, and that speaks volumes to what you on the road. You know, I, I don't look for teams. You know, it's hard to go dominate uh, a team in their own building. It really is. That's hard to do, uh, you know, week in, week out. And so to go in and play well in another team's building where that team is known for playing very well and being a very, very difficult team to beat, you know, in their house, and, and both KC and the Rams are doing it. And to me, that's impressive. That's why right now I think they're clearly the cream of the crop in their respective conference. And quickly for the Rams, they did that too without Brandon Cooks and Cooper Cup for the majority of the game, both getting concussions. So Jared Goff was able to figure out the Seattle defense, though it's not the same as it once was. Still difficult, still get the W, still undefeated. And, 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 without, and without correcting me for wrong, still their two starting quarterbacks. True. They've, it, it's been fun to watch to this point, and it, it doesn't they're not look just like the, it's They're not just the uniforms team. anymore. That's right. That's right. They're, they're actually bringing football excitement back to L.A. So about 10 minutes to go, and we've got time for college football and to let people know how poorly we did in the six-pack this week. Was this the and, – and this usually happens at some point. There's the week in college football where it becomes incredibly easy to rattle off who the top five teams are just because the teams that were kind of hanging around and kind of had a shot fall short. I think we've well, reached the, that week. I think we're here. We know who the top five teams are. Yeah, the, <laughs> it's pretty the, easy. The top, the, the top of the list, you know, that fell off 
the top of the list is, is you know, Oklahoma in that wild and woolly affair in the, the Red River shootout. Uh, they go up on their first possession. They're behind the rest of the game. They're down 45 uh, to 24, and they rally with three consecutive touchdowns in the fourth quarter to tie it, uh, only to lose it uh, uh, from the freshman kicker 40 yards uh, at the gun, or virtually at the gun, 48-45 Texas. And it looks like the Longhorns uh, under Tom Perfect are slowly but surely climbing their way back into national prominence, which is also really good for college football and not good for the rest of the Big 12. But I think right now, uh, at this stage of the proceedings, until further notice, we can cross the Big 12 off of the Final Four. And that leaves us with, in my mind, five uh, which look very strong and have separated themselves. And I'll let you rattle them off because I know you know who they are and I know we agree 100%. Yeah. Alabama, I think, is up there. (laughs) (laughs) I think we can find a spot for them. I know you're not a video game player, but the numbers that they've been putting up, especially with Tua at the quarterback position, it's been preposterous. Remark. And I know they're not playing anybody, but still. And they are not playing anybody. They're not playing. There's an awful Arkansas team True. that they beat up. But you still have to throw the football, and there's still guys standing out there, and you could still bounce one off of a finger or a hand or a helmet. No, no problem. No worries. Georgia, still strong at two. Ohio State, after winning the everyone will forget about Urban Meyer's wrongdoings from the offseason game over Penn State, firmly in three. They had, I don't really want to call it a scare, but they were trailing in a game at, <laughs> heading into the half. No problem. Clemson, we're not going to call it a statement win, but it looks nice. This is one of those ones where you just have fun winning it. I think they set a, a rushing record and a dominant performance over a, 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 a nice those, poor, those poor Wake Forest demon deacons. A, 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 a nice bounce-back performance after uh, a near miss at the hands of my alma mater last Saturday right? Uh, when uh, they defeated Syracuse 27-23 uh, in a uh, a game that the Syracuse tra- or led for uh, almost entire, the entirety of the game until Clemson scored late. I'd say and, that the, uh, the well, the, I mean those wins were nice, but definitely the most impressive win. Now talking top five, a team that was the sixth heading into this was Notre Dame going into Blacksburg, Virginia. Incredibly strong second half over the then twenty fourth ranked Virginia Tech Hokies. And this was the game where a lot of people in the ACC were saying, you know, if we want to make it easier for our conference to get somebody into the college football playoff, and assuming that would be Clemson or somewhere along the lines other than that, this was a game that Virginia Tech would have been keen to win to help the conference out. It turned into a bloodbath. It could be arguably Notre Dame's most difficult game remaining, though they do end the season at USC and still have a couple not easy ones along the way, but Syracuse, I believe that that game is in Yankee Stadium. Yep, they're, uh, they're after, wearing after those my, ugly uniforms. Stunning loss at Pitt. Yep, uh, I, I can't believe that uh, the way those teams are playing. But you never know, Swiss. You know, a few weeks from now, 
But Notre Dame clearly looking like the superior team right now uh, versus Syracuse, who just gave a game away against Pitt. But uh, back to, to ND, they are playing incredibly well. They manhandled Stanford. Uh, they were the better team against Michigan. So their resume is very strong. And they, to me, are, are playing better and better every week. And their performance last night, I thought, was, was terrific. Uh, I love the way they played against Stanford, although it's a Stanford team that uh, may not be nearly as good as we thought they were, because let's face it, uh, they pulled a rabbit out of the hat at Oregon. They were in the process of getting manhandled. They came back uh, and found a way to win that game or uh, had it given to them by the Ducks. Then they get blown out in the second half by Notre Dame. And yesterday, excuse me, last night, uh, they were embarrassed at home by Utah. Absolutely embarrassed. And again, man, on the line of scrimmage, they cannot run the ball. Uh, and that's usually uh, their strength. Uh, they live off their ground game. Uh, Love is out, but regardless whether he's there or not, they've not been able to run the football this year, and they got manhandled. Um, so that that's the five right now. They're top of the charts, and the way I see it, um, I, right now, and obviously, of course, subject to change, half the season left. But to me, of those five teams, the one that's got to go undefeated to be in the Final Four is Clemson. Clemson cannot lose a game. Yep, Clemson no, no loses question. a game. Even if even if it's even if they head out and lose in the ACC title game, they will be on the outside looking in against any Boston. 929-274-3437. That is the number you can either call to leave a voicemail or text with your questions or comments or complaints or reactions to anything we've said thus far during this show. And, and will... feel free to feel free to complain about the hideous pick. <laughs> That's what we're going to get into now. I've been saving the best for last. Best me again. All right, on both the college. uh, Well, we have to look at the pro for it. I'm sure you bested me since I was 0-3. Folks, we're going to blow through my picks in college because they were so bad. They're not even worth mentioning. I took Syracuse, who's covered pretty much the entire season, laying four at Pitt. They lost in overtime. I took Stanford to bounce back at home, laying three. They got hammered by Utah. Uh, and, uh, my other pick was, who was my other pick? Ed Ogeron and the LSU Tigers. Oh, my, my other pick, my other pick was LSU. We played well. But, you know, another tough road game in the SEC. And, uh, after taking the lead on a great drive, uh, Florida went right back down the field against and took the lead. And, uh, you know, I laid the two at Florida Field. And that lost outright. So a miserable week in the NCAA front goes true. I did a little bit better on the college front for the first time in six pack history. Did a little bit of an over under in the Red River rivalry, the red what turned into the shootout. Took the over, and I don't even know what the number was, but it went over, I think, by like thirty or thirty one points. Ridiculous. 48-45. 48-45. When you're getting into the 90s with over-unders, you're usually on the okay half if you have the over exactly. for that game. 
went with Notre Dame in Blacksburg, went against what I had said on ACC Today on ACC Radio, so at least I split that even though there's no money involved for either, then decided to get into our armed services-esque games, which is something you probably shouldn't do if you don't have any ties to the armed services because I said that Navy would cover the two with Air Force and Air Force demolish them. And I guess that serves me right because we've never met, but I'm a tall human being and wouldn't be able to fit into a plane as a pilot. They're letting me know. So two and one, it could be worse. Absolutely. You could be me. Point three, and then on the pro front, another weak week uh, for me. Uh, you know, on the pro front, uh, I'm you know, going to keep taking Kansas City every week until they let me down. So they came through again. That one was easy. Uh, but I did what I rarely do, like Syracuse. I took my Ravens, uh, coming off a tremendous performance in Pittsburgh. And, of course, they lay an egg in Cleveland. They're unable to score a touchdown. Uh, as I said before, Joe Flacco puts it up over 50 times. He can't throw for 300 yards. The offense was miserable. The defense was terrific. But you know, it allowed Buffalo to score. <laughs> that, that, that was too much. Losing 12-9 in overtime, laying the three. They had multiple opportunities to win that game in regulation. And we talked about the aforementioned Mason Crosby's four missed field goals and this extra point. That cost me dearly. I took Green Bay in Detroit, plus one. Detroit has a habit of beating Green Bay at home. They did it again. Yep, and I felt the same way and felt that coming, but went against my better judgment, doubled up on what you had said, also took the Packers plus one in a show-me-something game, also took my Denver Broncos following your suit again in a plus one show me something game loss loss Panthers minus six and a half nail me to the cross oh and three for the NFL picks I hope you all faded accordingly misery loves company my friend thankfully we have playoff baseball to get us through the week while I will be on pins and needles for at least two more games in the ALDS with the Yankees and Red Sox. You got to admit, the atmosphere is great. It's just fun as a baseball fan to watch, and I'm sure the games won't disappoint. Whoever you're rooting for, it's always exciting just because of the stakes in these five-game series. Fingers crossed when we speak next, I am smiling through the microphone, and the New York Yankees move on to the ALCS. Until we speak again. Good luck to all the Yankee fans. Let's hope it is a great rest series. It's looking very much like the Red Sox-Yankee winner is going to be playing the defending champ. So everybody have a great sports week. John, it is always great to speak to you. Until we meet again. We'll be back next Monday night, 8 p.m. Eastern time here on Sports Radio America. You can listen at sportsradioamerica.com and interact with the show there as well or find us on the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America. You can also follow John Lund under the same handle on Twitter at London Bridge. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>